The first reading is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 1 to 9. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. As I was saying, there are some unsung heroes in every church, and I want to thank Charlie uh, and Jonty and Mike, who did the, the screen and the audio when fools like me managed to remember to switch it on. Uh, and the less you see of them, and the less you notice them, the better they're doing. That's, it's bizarre, isn't it? But that's how it works. Uh, so thank you for them. 
Uh, and not that I ever met him, but I understand Chris Bloomfield was the same when he was here. A bit of an unsung hero. Uh, and through his life, he, um, he held on to a, a principle. And that was his love of Jesus Christ and of God. It was for him a creed, and we're going to say the creed a little bit later on. And this passage from Isaiah is a very good starting point if you want a creed and a moment of belief. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, we pray indeed that you would open our eyes to see your servant high and lifted up. That we might be in your temple, honouring your name and bringing praise to you. So Father, lift us all to that place we ask this morning. Amen. Now there is, oh look, there is indeed... Um, uh, a slide. This is one of those passages if you, and you may find it very helpful actually to have it in front of you. It's page 740 um, in the Bibles, in the pews. It's one of the uh, servant songs uh, of which there were, were four um, uh, and I'll come, I'll come back to that. Uh, the servant songs which some would say refer to the, the nation of Israel, some to Isaiah, or indeed ourselves, in Isaiah's place, uh, and yet others would say refer to a different person altogether. And I think when we come to this song, the illusions are so striking, there is only one person that this can be speaking of. Reference is made to this song at various parts of our Bible. Is that going to work, do you think? I wonder. Perhaps we could just slide it on to the next one. This is Matthew uh, chapter 8, verse 17. This was to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. What about the next one from John? John 12, 37. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Both of those quotes from Isaiah, the passage that we're looking at, referred to in the New Testament. You may want to go on to Acts 8, 26 and and thereafter, where Philip is uh, meeting with the eunuch. And the eunuch is reading a passage from the Bible, the passage from Isaiah. And Philip explains to him what the passage means about Jesus Christ. And then, of course, uh, as we've already read, that, that section from 1 Peter 2, where Peter speaks about Christ's silent acceptance of his suffering. The allusion to Christ is overwhelming. Uh, There are four servant songs, 42, 49, 50, and this is probably 
the most well-known, actually starting in chapter 52, verse 13. Uh, There are other references to the servant in in chapter 61 and 62, uh, but there's nothing like this. And as I say, it starts in chapter 52, and it develops. If we have the the next one, brilliant, you're ahead of me. They are good. Um, So it's split into five, they call them five stanzas, or five verses, I suppose you would call them, in a song. The first one is very much looking at the servant from the outside. What's an outsider's view? The second part of it then becomes the insider's view. What do we as a people understand of the servant? It then gets more personal still, because then it's us. How do we see the servant? Then it's probably Isaiah. It's a single person speaking. It's probably Isaiah. And then you get God's response uh, with Isaiah right at the end. So it becomes more and more deeply, deeply personal. I don't know, did anyone see Simon Callow, actually, at the Ivanano about a week ago? One or two, he has several nods. The interesting part, and I won't go into the theology of that play, because it had little, um, or or it was lacking in great parts, uh, including the fact that after the death of Christ, that was the end. There was no resurrection, which I thought was a slightly limiting element. Um, But but putting the theology on one side, the whole play was spoken from the position of other people. How did they see Jesus? Even though it was about Jesus himself. And this passage from Isaiah is actually quite similar. We're taking that same approach. How do those around him express their understanding? Now, just one more piece of background that we need to know. Because this is the context of the whole thing. Um, Yeah, we might as well have the next one up, actually. Uh, And and that is that uh, in the the Old Testament, there was a priest and there was a sacrifice. Now, those two things are very important. Because the priest was interceding between you and God. Me and God. God. Because we are unworthy. We could not approach God. So we needed someone to do it on our behalf. And that's where the priest came into it. So in this context, you know, we would stop here and James would be the only person able to go forward to approach God. That's what the priest did. He interceded on our behalf. But of course, we couldn't approach God because we're unworthy. We're unclean. We're impure. And God cannot accept impurity, otherwise he's no longer God. So, of course, somehow, for us to have a relationship with God, you need to get rid of that impurity. And that's where the idea of sacrifice came in. If you killed something and spilt its blood, that object, that animal, had paid the price. And you were substituting, the guilt, your guilt was substituted on that animal that was then killed. And you could have your relationship with God. That is what sacrifice was about. And that is what the priest was doing for you. In the first section, and that's what we've got here, this is the outsider's view. It's more or less a summary of the whole of chapter 53. This is the whole essence of the servant song in one go. 
It's the priest sprinkling the people that through his intercession with God, that even the kings would understand the truth. But at the same time, if you look at verse 14, he is the sacrifice. He's not only the priest, but he's the sacrifice at the same time, in the same person. The servant, priest and sacrifice, interceding and yet giving of himself at the same time. It's a remarkable change on what the Old Testament uh, understanding would normally be. So on to the next slide. Chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now the reason why I've chosen that uh, photograph is not because it's biblical in any way whatsoever. It, It is because you see the leader of the army with the sword in his right hand. And very often in the Old Testament you will read God's right hand or the arm of the Lord. It was all about power. It was all about leading into battle. It was all about strength of God. That's what the arm of the Lord uh, refers to. But of course the insiders, because that's where we are now, this is us as a people, how do we see God? Because we don't see him as this powerful leader of battle. We can do. But actually that's not what the servant is, is he? No. There is nothing remarkable about this man. He's not the most beautiful. He's not the strongest. He's not the most charming. He's not the most enigmatic. There is nothing about his appearance that attracts us to him. The only thing that attracts us to this servant is his purpose and his character. And that's why, at this point, it's the insiders, it's us talking. Because, verse 3, he was despised and we esteemed him not. We, as a body, are all in this together. We esteemed him not. And so, this song becomes even more personal from four, chapter, uh, verse 4 to 6. Because this is about... Us. This is about we. Shall we have the next slide? Notice the contrasts that are in this passage. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was punished for our peace. He was wounded for our healing. We have gone astray, so God laid our iniquity on him. The problem is us. The answer is him. I was, I was reading this and there were two, uh, just over a week ago, and I, I shared this actually at the home group um, uh, last week, but there were two things which really struck me about him. The first, uh, and the primary one, was in verse 5. He was crushed for our iniquities. Have you ever thought what it's like to be crushed? You know, something, you're working in a warehouse and some of the goods, the pallets, fall off and you are crushed under the weight. That's a really strong image 
And as I was thinking about this, I had a picture in my mind that as a, as a church or as a world, we are in a queue. And each of us carries our burden of sin, which is heavy. And one by one, we walk to Christ and we give him our burden of sin. And it gets heavier and heavier and heavier until we crush Jesus Christ with the weight of our sin. Now that's only a picture which came to my mind, but I found that overwhelming. But the second part of that, which is really overwhelming, is in verse 6. Because it says, God ordained it. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This was his idea. Isn't that extraordinary? It was what God had planned in order that we might be healed. And this goes right back to the Old Testament view, doesn't it? Of sacrifice, of substitution. Someone had to die. Who could that be? Who was good enough to die? And God makes his servant the sacrifice so that those who trust in him might be healed. So we reach the fourth section in the next slide. This is probably a single voice. Probably Isaiah. And in all of this imagery he says there's all this pain and there's all this torment, there's all this sin and it's all being laid on Jesus Christ the servant. How does he respond? He was oppressed and afflicted yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before his shearers is silent so he did not open his mouth. Have you noticed that in this song there is one person that doesn't speak? Not once. That is the servant. He doesn't utter a word. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Who can speak of his descendants? Well, no one can. He has none. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people. That's where we get the single voice. My people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. And so on. Isaiah is again overwhelmed with the holiness of God. Do you remember right at the beginning with his calling in chapter 6? He was overwhelmed with the holiness of God and his own unworthiness. And he says to God, how can I possibly approach you when I'm sinful? And the angels come down and they touch his tongue with the burning coal. And he is cleansed. So now Isaiah looks out across these people and asks himself the same question. You sacrificed for me, but who's going to sacrifice for all of these people? The answer is through the servant. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He, the servant, was stricken. And so having crushed him in this way, how does God feel now? Well, that's verses 10 uh, to to the end, a a section which we didn't read, but we'll just quickly look at. 
Because this is probably Isaiah speaking just at at verse 10. Somehow, he says, the life of this servant will be extended, will be prolonged, and the Lord will prosper. Then God himself speaks in verse 12. I will give him a portion among the great. I will give him the spoils of the strong. Unlike the normal sacrifice that dies and is gone, this sacrifice will continue living. He will not die permanently, but will enjoy renewed life. So he's exalted. He is lifted on high. What does that then say for us? Can that servant that Isaiah is speaking about also speak to us? Well, we've already said in the, in the New Testament, this is referred to several times. So, the relationship with us is already made clear. His death was planned. Our sin, we have piled on top of him until Jesus Christ himself was crushed. Your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Boy, this is a hard message, isn't it? It's a glorious message. It's a great message. It is that creed by which we live. But actually, if you were out in the world and you said, I am a sinner, I've done something wrong, what would the answer be? Normally, it would be, well, don't worry. If at first you don't succeed, try. Try again. No. That's what's so hard, isn't it? When we mess up, we have to say sorry. And we actually have to believe that someone has done everything for us. That's really hard. Because actually it's not something I can do. It's something that someone else has done for me. Surely I can pay? I know I broke your jug. I'm really sorry. Can I pay for it? No. It's broken. I can repair the jug. But it will still be a broken jug that is repaired. And what God is saying to us here is that I can make you new. No more dodgy glue that may fall apart. No more line of fault within you. No more cracks. No more blemishes. I will make you just as good as you were before. And we're all in this together, are we not? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Isaiah says, a man is coming, a servant of God is coming that will put you right, that will make you new. All you have to do is trust that he is that person. Do I always feel like that? No, indeed not. But I have to say, I have had a glorious week. 
because I've been spending time with Isaiah. And I've been spending time in the Bible. And that was so exciting. Why don't I do it more? Good question. One I'm still trying to answer. God is the servant who gives himself for us. Let's just bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, you chose the cross. A crown of thorns you wore for us and crowned us crowned us with eternal life. You chose the cross and though your soul was overwhelmed with pain, obedient to death, you overcame. You loosed the cords of sinfulness and broke the chains of my disgrace. You chose the cross. Up from the grave victorious, you rose again so glorious. You chose the cross. The sorrow that surrounded you was mine. Yet not my will, but yours be done. You cried. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you are the servant. And you came to serve us. Thank you for the joy of that. That even when that last breath is ours, we can rely on your everlasting arms, welcoming us home. Father, we place our lives in your hands this morning. As we come to this communion table, we hold our hands out in love and adoration of thanksgiving and praise that your servant died, even for me. Amen.